Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. Now this morning, uh, we're going to start a new series, uh, and we're kind of launching from the series that we completed last week on David and Goliath. So a couple weeks ago, we were looking at the story of David and Goliath and, and how the understanding of the battle that they engaged in was the idea, not just my best against your best, but it was the understanding of this is my God against your God. And I showed you how this was not just the understanding in Scripture, but actually all over the world that practiced this technique of single combat, their understanding was it's my God against your God. Their belief was actually that the human element in this battle was secondary to the spiritual battle taking place. And what we kind of see with Goliath is King Saul has this inability to see past the physical obstacle in front of him to recognize that this battle is actually spiritual, that the battle actually belongs to God. David, on the other hand, couldn't understand why, why no one would fight because he understood, understood that regardless of the size of the obstacle in front of you, the battle belongs to God. David said, hey, this, this is not physical what's taking place. This is about the spiritual. Now, when we fast forward about a thousand years, we find the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says this isn't just true on the battlefield, it's true everywhere, it's true in life. So much of what we perceive as a physical matter is actually spiritual at its roots. The good news is, Paul said, in Christ, we have been equipped to stand firm in the midst of this spiritual battlefield, and that's what we're looking at in this series, is what Paul calls the armor of God. Now, uh, we can read about the armor of God, and it's kind of catchy. It's a little bit poetic sounding, but uh, that's not Paul's intention here. That's not what he's going for. What Paul wanted us to recognize is that there is a spiritual battle taking place, and it is a legitimate and real and true spiritual battle, and, and it is legitimate, and therefore the armor is legitimate, and the necessity to wear this armor is vital to standing strong in the midst of darkness. So my hope in this series is that we'll walk away not just with a better understanding of the armor itself, but also understanding why we need to wear it and how we wear it in everyday life. So with that, if you want to read with me, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. This is Paul wrapping up the letter to the church at Ephesus. Uh, that's why he begins by saying, finally, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Therefore, remember any time you see therefore in scripture, the first question you ask is, what is it therefore? What Paul is saying therefore is concerning if this is a spiritual battle taking place. Therefore... We need to put on the full armor of God. And where it says full armor of God, that's no mistake. In the original language, Paul is putting an emphasis on the reality that this armor he's about to lay out, we need to wear all of it. It's not just taking up our favorite piece of armor and fighting the battle with that. Paul is saying, if this is a spiritual battle, we need the full armor of God. He says, so that when, not if, but when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. 
Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And this morning we're going to be dissecting this passage specifically on the belt of truth. And there's a picture here on the screen that kind of gives an idea of, of what this belt would, would look like. When we think of a belt, it usually serves one primary purpose, that's to hold our pants up. Uh, but the belt in a suit of armor, in a Roman suit of armor, was probably the most essential piece in the entire suit of armor. The reason for this uh, is, uh, for one, it provided protection for a very vulnerable area of Roman soldiers. I won't go into the details there, but read the original King James and you'll see what I'm talking about. Uh, not only that, but it served as almost this, this harness or this toolkit, uh, 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 tool belt of sorts, where all of the armor came together and connected, where you could hang your sword, you would hang your dagger, everything hung on the belt. It was a central element to, to the suit of armor. It held the rest of the armor together, and you would never go to battle without the belt in your suit of armor. But uh, before I go much further with that, I want to back up and just give a little context to this passage as a whole. Uh, the book of Ephesians was written uh, about 60 AD. This is 25 to 30 years after the de death and resurrection of Christ. It was written by the Apostle Paul, and it was written while he was imprisoned in Rome. So in all likelihood, Paul is looking at the Roman soldiers that are, are guarding him, and he's, he's presenting an image based on their armor of what spiritual armor would look like. Now, something unique about the book of Ephesus or Ephesians uh, is it was not written to address problems. It was not written to address heresies within the church. It wasn't even written to answer questions within the church at Ephesus, as many of his other letters were. So Galatians, for instance, was written uh, as a response because the Jewish Christians there were telling new converts to Christianity, hey, you still need to follow the Jewish law. So that's why Paul writes Galatians is to say, hey, no, you don't. We're under a new covenant of grace. Corinthians was written in response to, to many, many false teachings and doctrines that Paul wanted to correct. But Ephesians, from what we can gather, was simply written for the sake of encouraging early Christians there. And Paul encouraged them on two fronts, uh, both how to think and how to act. And as we look at the early manuscripts of the book of Ephesians, a manuscript is simply a copy of the original, and, and we have a lot of those manuscripts. When we look at them, we find something interesting, because if you look at the very beginning of Ephesians chapter 1, Paul begins it this way. Uh, in verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, what's interesting about that? Well, what's interesting is in many of the early manuscripts we have of this, the words in Ephesus have been removed. And there's actually a simple reason for this. When the Ephesians received this letter and they recognize it is so encouraging to, to an early church, to new Christians, they recognize that Paul's message in the book of Ephesians is not for them alone, but it is a universal message that applies to every Christian in every time frame. So what they do uh, is they remove the words in Ephesus and they begin circulating it among all the churches in the area 
because they want every believer to know these words are for you. Every note of encouragement is for every believer everywhere. If he's encouraging the church to think a certain way, it's for everyone. If he is encouraging them to act a certain way, it applies to every believer. And when Paul gets to the end of his letter, in another message that is relevant to every believer, and that includes you, Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and put on the full armor of God. Understand this message is a universal message and applies to you. It was not a specific message only for a specific people. It is a message for you as well. Now to understand the necessity of the word of God, uh, I want to quickly address what is a growing misconception in the church today. Uh, Greg, if you'll put verse 11 up on the screen. Uh, Paul writes, put on the full armor of God. Uh, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Uh, A 2009 Barna survey uh, asked professing Christians this question. It said, is Satan uh, or the devil a literal being or is he only symbolic of evil? Not an actual being, but symbolic of evil. Uh, 59% of professing Christians said Satan is a symbol of evil and not an uh, actual entity, which makes me think that 59% of Christians have never read the Bible. But he was presented uh, in Job chapter 1 as a true and real entity when he appeared before God. Uh, He was presented as a real and living entity in the Garden of Eden when he tempted Adam and Eve. He was presented as a real and living entity in the Gospels when he tempts Jesus for 40 days. Yet half, half or more than half of professing Christians say uh, Satan is simply an idea or a symbol uh, of evil. Evil And church, that's a problem. Uh, C.S. Lewis said it this way, and I'm just going to summarize. You can look up the quote if you want to. But he said, there are two errors that we make about Satan and his angels. Uh, The first is that people don't believe. uh, Or the second is that they believe, but they have an unhealthy interest in in them, almost an infatuation. And he said, Satan is equally pleased with both. He's okay if you're infatuated with him, and he's okay if you don't believe uh, in him at all. Uh, but Peter, who wrote or who, who sat at Jesus' feet for the entirety of Jesus' earthly ministry, uh, said that not only does Satan exist, but he, he added this regarding Satan's activity. In 1 Peter 5.8, he said, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Peter said this is the activity of Satan. He is looking for someone to devour. Now, this is consistent with the book of Job, and this would be the earliest reference that we have to Satan because uh, this is written before Genesis. So it's Job chapter 1, verse 7. It says, The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. So Paul says this is what Satan does. He, he's looking everywhere for someone to, to devour. Go back to the earliest reference we ever have of Satan, and this is what's taking place. He's roaming, roaming the earth. And if you leave it at that, it almost sounds like something to be afraid of. Uh, but I love that we have also Second Chronicles 16.9, which says, The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So we have Satan searching the earth 
looking for someone to devour, to destroy. Then we have God searching the earth, looking for someone to strengthen. And if you ever feel like you're caught in the middle of those two, there's a spoiler alert, God wins. God wins. The, the, the problem is, if we don't believe that Satan actually exists, then we don't see the need, that, as Paul says, to be alert and to be on the lookout for him, to, to recognize that he wants to attack us. And, and I just want to say, uh, I don't talk about Satan very much because I don't want it to seem like we're giving him any glory, but I, I want us to be alert. I want us to be aware uh, that a lot of what we see taking place around us is a, a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual thing, and, and it's not... Our, our job is not to fight against Satan. Uh, I'll show you what I mean by that. Greg, if you'll, if you'll go ahead. Um, if I ask you right now to do everything in your power to defeat the darkness... You can start flailing your arms as much as you want. You can start yelling as much as you want. You can get a bucket and try to scoop out the darkness as much as you want. But we all know that is not the solution to ridding the darkness in this room. There's only one solution. Greg, if you want to provide us with that solution, the solution to, to finding darkness is to introduce light. That is our task in this world. And, and I've been to churches that, that are almost borderline obsessed with spiritual warfare and fighting against Satan. Our job, church, is just to introduce light. Jesus, when he walked this world, he said, I am the light of the world. And then he turned around to his disciples before he departed and he said, now you are the light of the world. This is who you are. Bring light to the world. Now, it's interesting because biblically, we can come to a pretty good understanding of Satan's past and we can find a pretty good understanding of his future. Uh, we know Satan's future and Satan knows his future. Uh, it's a lake of fire. But I want you to see something that the Bible says in the last days just prior to that, before Satan uh, is thrown into a lake of fire. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, speaking of the last days, it says, The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Now, I want you to recognize something in this passage. What is Satan doing in this passage? Because when we think of Satan, we think he must be ravaging something or decimating something. But what we find taking place is he is leading. Do you see in the last days, this is what Satan is doing, is he is leading. And that implies that there is a following how is it that the one who comes to still and to kill and to destroy has such a great following that John says in the end times, he is leading the entire world astray? And the answer to that question is because those who are following him will not know that they're following darkness, but will believe they are following light. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, Paul said, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. That word masquerades, uh, the root of that is meta, uh, and it's actually the same root that the Bible uses when it says that Jesus transfigured before the disciples. The only difference is uh, uh, it ends differently. Jesus transfigured into a new form. Satan transfigures into a new disguise. And when we're living in the last days, church, 
there will be a movement. There will be a following taking place throughout the world, not just in pockets here and there, but this movement will be in the direction of evil and darkness, but those who are following it will believe that it is in the name of good and light. Uh, Satan is crafty. Uh, in fact, the first real description that we're given of Satan in Genesis is that he was more cunning and more crafty than anyone else. So Satan knows that he'll never gather a mass following if he advertises it as evil. So he'll masquerade it as light. He will practice evil, but he'll put a disguise on it or a mask as good. He'll never gain a mass following, for instance, if he calls it murdering children. But he can gain a worldwide movement if he puts a mask on it and calls it health care. Uh, they'll call it health care. And if you stand up against health care, you will be the evil one. They'll throw out terms like inclusion and pride and acceptance and love. And if you stand against it, you are the evil one. And what the Bible says is this is what the last days will look like. Satan will lead the world astray, masquerading it as light, and the church is the evil one. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who, who call bitter sweet and sweet evil. And I, I would submit to you that we have arrived on the onset of those last days, that, that, that the days when people engage in evil yet call you evil if you stand against it. How did we get there, church? We got there because Satan is a real and living being and he is cunning and deceptive and masquerades as an angel of light. Yet Jesus said in eight, uh, John 8, that there is actually no truth in him. When he speaks lies, Jesus said he speaks his native language or his native tongue for he is the liar and the father of lies. I want you to see this is why Paul starts off the armor of God by saying, gird yourself first uh, and foremost with the belt of truth. You are protecting yourself with truth because when Satan attacks, this is where he attacks. He attacks with lies and deception. And Paul says in the midst of the lies, stand your ground, stand on truth, protect your, yourself with truth. You know, you can take every piece of armor in the armor of God. If it's not connected to the belt of truth, what do you have? You can have all the faith in the world. If it's in the wrong God, where's that going to get you? Paul said, it starts with truth. Everything hinges and hangs upon truth. Uh, if we look back at Ephesians 6.13, he said, Put on the full armor of God so that the, when, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. And if we continued with what uh, Peter wrote, he said, Your enemy, in uh, 5, 8, and 9, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion lo looking for someone to devour. Then he says, So resist him and stand firm in the faith. This is what Paul and Peter call the church to when you are being bombarded with deception and lies. They say, stand firm in the faith. Stand and do not be moved. Um, shortly before, before Emily and I moved up from Florida, 
and we had gotten into surfing a little bit, and I only, only went a couple times the first time. It went great. Uh, I, I didn't kill myself at all. Uh, the second time, when you go to the surf shop, they actually have a, a, uh, like a forecast board for surfing. And I looked at the forecast, and it says choppy. And I don't know what choppy means, but it apparently means don't go surfing. Uh, and, and we went out there, and I could not get the surfboard more than about 20 feet into the water because it is just slamming into me, and it is taking every bit of my power just to stand. And this is the image we get in scripture of what's going to take place is you have to stand. And when the waves come against you and they're trying to knock you back and saying you are evil and intolerant and how dare you. And, and the Bible is outdated. What Paul and Peter say is stand firm in the faith. Stand in the faith, church. Now, these lies will occur primarily on Two fronts. The first one is the front of God's identity. This is who God is, is what God says, and it's what his intentions are for you. So if we go back to Genesis chapter 3, in verse 1, what we find, uh, it says, the certain was more, A serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. So he said to the woman, Did God really say? This is where it starts. Can I put a seed of doubt in your mind? Did God really say this? And then if we continue in verse 5, we see it doesn't stop there. Uh, she says, or the, uh, Satan says, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. So it wasn't just questioning what God was saying. It was, can I get you to question his motives? Can I get you to question his motives and his intentions for you? Satan will just try to plant that seed of doubt in your mind. The second place that, that Satan will attack you, Renee, if you could come, uh, is uh, with lies and deception concerning your identity, who you are. And he used this tactic against Jesus himself, and it was uh, unsuccessful, of course. But if you think of Jesus in the garden, uh, remember the, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus before, and, and uh, the Father spoke and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. What does uh, Satan say to Jesus in the garden? If you are the son of God. If you are the Son of God, can I get you to doubt that you are who God says you are? And I want you to see that this is especially relevant in the book of Ephesians. Because if we read through the book of Ephesians, Paul is hammering uh, the, the identity into their, into their hearts and their spirits, their minds, into their brains. Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, he, he says, We are blessed with every spiritual blessing. We are holy and blameless and covered with God's love. We are adopted as God's children. Our sins have been taken away and we've been forgiven. We've been marked by the Holy Spirit and we belong to God. And church, that's all in chapter one. He says, we have been raised up with Christ in glory. We are his workmanship, his prized work of art. We have been brought near to God. We can come with freedom and confidence into the presence of God. You have a calling in Christ Jesus. And when Satan attacks, what he'll do is he'll take one of these truths and he'll say, did God really say that? Can you really approach God with boldness and confidence after the week that you had. Do you really think that God can forgive that? So Paul says, 
We have to gird ourselves with the truth, and that includes the truth of who you are in Christ Jesus, that you are holy and chosen and blameless and adopted and forgiven and marked and raised and brought near to God with freedom and confidence you can approach Him. This is who you are to God, and you have to stand in that truth. And there will be waves of deception coming at you and trying to knock you off your feet saying, this isn't true today. This isn't true today. It's not true for you. So Paul says and Peter says, the Bible says, God says, stand your ground. Stand on the truth of God's word. Can you stand with me, church? Renee is going to lead us into something. It's going to be awesome. And maybe as we, we worship this morning, maybe, maybe you could not enter into God's presence based on, on the week you had. Maybe you don't feel forgiven. Maybe you don't feel like I can enter His presence with boldness and confidence. The Word of God says you can. The Word of God says this is there for you and nothing can hold you back from God's presence in this moment but yourself. Allow yourself to experience the presence of God in this place. Father, this morning I pray that we stand in your truth. I thank you for your truth and I pray that every person in here, we wear that belt and we wear it with honor. I thank you that we are who you say we are and not who the world says we are. Help us this morning to step into your presence with boldness and confidence, recognizing our forgiveness and our righteousness and our holiness in you. Holy Spirit, would you move in this place and speak to every heart in Jesus' name. Lord, as we go this week, I pray that you, you would open our eyes to recognize that the battle is spiritual. That you would help us, God, to stand firm in the truth of your word and who you are and who you say we are. place that we leave in the power of your spirit. Christ Jesus, we are forgiven. We are free. And we are chosen and we are loved and we are redeemed. By your grace, we are called. 
again for being here today um, let me know if you have anything for you ask for it or baptisms or anything other than that have a great great week thank you for listening to this week's message don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week and as always from all of us at cranberry community church may god bless you